0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Michelle Easton, president of the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute, and I want to welcome you all to our July Conservative Woman's Network. I also want to give a special thank you to our CWN co-host, the Heritage Foundation, and Bridget Wagner. We've been doing these lunches together every month since 1999. Wow. Long time. Now it's my pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Rachel Campus Duffy. Rachel is a parenting expert, an author, a blogger, a political pundit, and television personality. She got her start, television start, on MTV's iconic reality show, The Real World. (laughs) Rachel's a frequent guest host on Fox News' Outnumbered and on NBC's Today Show, where she does parenting and relationship segments. For the past 14 years, she's also been a regular guest host on ABC's The View, appearing more than 25 times and she makes frequent appearances on popular shows like Dr. Phil, Fox and Friends, Hannity and Politically Incorrect. She also writes for a wide range of publications including National Review, The American Spectator and Fox News Latino just to name a few. She's currently the national spokesperson for the LIBRA Initiative, an organization that educates and advocates for the economic empowerment of Hispanics through limited government, entrepreneurship, and self-reliance. Rachel lives in Wisconsin with her husband, Congressman Sean Duffy, and her seven children. In 2009, she authored the book Stay Home, Stay Happy, Ten Secrets to Loving at-Home Motherhood. She graduated from Arizona State University's Honors Program with a degree in economics, a minor in Spanish, and an emphasis on Latin American studies. She has a master's degree in international affairs with an emphasis on economic development in Latin America from the University of California, San Diego. She spoke at the Institute's Western Women's Summit last year and was a favorite of the students. They really liked her. Before I asked Rachel to come to the podium, let's watch a short video to learn a little more about
1: Rachel and her family. For me as a parent, it's important for my let's kids to still appreciate how lucky we are to live in this country and the kind of sacrifices that their great grandfather and their grandfather made so that they could have a better life. My name is Rachel Campos Duffy. As a mother of six, nothing is more important to me than my family. My grandparents came from Mexico and my father was born in a small copper mining town in Arizona. They were very poor but they were very resourceful. And so, even as a young kid, he was the shoeshine boy. He started his own pinata business when he was only 12 years old. Um, So he's somebody who figured out at a very young age that what he couldn't do in Mexico, he could do in America, which was to transcend his poverty through hard work. When I was growing up, my dad was often in night school, earning his degree. And I think what he passed on to us, he didn't really tell us, showed us. You know, Hispanics were not a monolithic group, but I think what we share, uh, the most important thing we share, is a work ethic, is a drive, is a willingness to sacrifice for the next generation.
0: The reason why America is distinct from the rest of the world is because you can do whatever you want to do. As long as you set your mind and establish your goals, you can do it.
1: This country gave my family the freedom and the opportunity to succeed. But I'm worried that government programs that are supposed to help Hispanic families are actually doing harm. I think kids are growing up in a time when this sense of entitlement and dependency on government is starting to take over. I know how hard my dad worked. I don't want my kids to lose that work ethic. And that's why I joined Libre, because it's an organization that mirrors the values I'm teaching my kids. Libre's mission is to be a voice for freedom, a voice for economic liberty, a voice for self-reliance, and the belief in America that if you work hard, you can make a better life for your family. We do this person to person, heart to heart, in the communities we want to serve, offering, programs that empower people. We're on the ground, fighting for the freedom and opportunity that make the American dream possible. Join us at joinlibre.org.
0: Please join me in welcoming Rachel Campos-Duffy.
1: Thank you so much um, for inviting me to come today. It's really an honor. Um, You know, a lot of people ask me what it's like to raise um, children in such a hyper-political environment. Their mom's a political activist, their dad's a congressman, Um, there's seven of them, they go to a lot of political events, and so I'm going to tell you a really quick story to tell you what it's really like. Um, Not very long ago, um, I had my son was uh, all my kids um, have a little playroom um, downstairs and the room was an absolute mess I walked down there and I said oh my gosh this is terrible all of you guys are not leaving until you know this is done I need you guys have picked this up so I came back about 20 minutes later and the room looked almost exactly the same as when I had left it and I was like what the heck happened here I sent all of you guys to clean this up and My son, who was um, at that time about 11 years old, um, he said, well, listen, me and Evita, that's my oldest, we picked up our part already. And all this other stuff belongs to all the other kids. And I said what any good mom would say. I said, I don't care whose mess that is. Um, No one's leaving here until it's all done. And so then he walked across, crossed right in front of me to go pick up a toy, and I heard him say something under his breath. And I said, "Uh, what did you say, Jack? Um, I heard you. He said, nothing. I said, I really distinctly heard you mumble something under your breath. Um, Didn't say anything. I said, Jack, I know you said something. And he said, fine. I called you a socialist. (laughs) And that is what it's like. to raise kids in that environment. And the first time I told that story, um, I was actually at a prayer breakfast with Scott Walker. And um, I, before the thing, I said, listen, I'm gonna, because he was gonna be in the room, I said, I'm gonna tell this story about what happened. And he said, that's fine, but it'll cost you $5. So he's a capitalist too, we're raising capitalists. And um, so, you know, I wanted to come to talk to you because you guys are all such beautiful, young, conservative women, and there is a lot of talk these days about women in politics. Um, where there's talk about the women's vote. There's talk about equal pay. There's talk about the prospect of potentially the first female president, um, whether it's Hillary um, or Carly Fiorino. Um, and of course, uh, we hear a lot of talk about the so-called war on women. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about conservative women. Um, well, it turns out, uh, and we're going to talk a little about culture, too because it's all interrelated. Um, well, it turns out that there has been some research that sh- shed some light on the subject of conservative women. Now, since 1972, the University of Chicago has been conducting what they call their general survey, uh, re, uh, social survey, and one of the things that they measure is happiness. Now, I think the ladies in this room will not be surprised to know that the study concludes that conservative women are the happiest. About 40% of conservative women in that survey say they are very happy. That makes them slightly happier than conservative men, significantly happier than what the survey said liberal women were. Um, The unhappiest group of all, liberal men. Um, I think that explains uh, Ed Schultz, Al Gore, (laughs) Bill Maher, some pretty miserable guys there. The question, of course, is why? Why are conservative women so much more blissful? And it turns out that there are three things that contribute to human happiness, and they are family, community, and work. And I think that these are all things that come very naturally to women who have a conservative bent on philosophy. Interestingly, there's another happiness survey that came out not long ago that says that women who have turned down some sort of promotion or made some other work or professional-related sacrifice um, for the sake of their families report higher levels of happiness, which I find very interesting. Um, I think this may be another clue about why conservative women are happier. I think what it really comes down to is that conservative women do not feel compelled to follow the script. And by the script, I mean the liberal feminist script that says you have got to go to a very fancy elite East Coast liberal school. Um, You've got to pursue a six-figure salary, preferably in some fashionable urban center. Um, You have to lean in, like uh, Sheryl Sandberg says on Facebook, uh, or uh, in her best-selling book. uh, She's the CEO of Facebook, for those of you who don't know. Um, The script demands that we forego marriage until we make some, you know, associate in the law firm or some other um, title. You definitely need to stop the biological clock until you make partner or VP of your firm. And finally, of course, you have to keep that baby thing under control, maybe two. we don't want to have um, too much of a carbon footprint. Um, I've, I've been called an environmental terrorist before on, on blogs, so just so you know. Um, that's what happens when you have seven. Uh, conservative women know that life is a little messier and a lot more fun when you throw out the feminist rule book and you just do things on your own terms. And I think, um, of course, of I think a happy conservative warrior, uh, Sarah Palin. Uh, just think about what her resume looks like. She was a beauty queen. She was a weather anchor. She graduated, Now everybody gasp. a state school. She went to state school. She had five kids. She ran for city council. She ran for mayor. Then she was governor. Um, You guys are very young, but there was at one point when she was interviewed by Oprah, she actually said, oh, I just remember loving watching you when I was an at-home mom. So that's on her resume, too. I don't know if any of you could ever imagine, say, a Hillary Clinton um, utter those words. Um, And think about how, how... seamless and, and organic and natural it was, uh, you know, all the times we've seen Sarah Palin up on stage, she just sort of grabs that baby and bounces it on her hip, and she's still, you know, delivering speeches. And um, again, those are things that we can't imagine some of the most prominent uh, figures on the left, w- female figures on the left doing. Um, I think Sarah Palin is a lot like so many other conservative women who just simply refuse to live by that feminist rule book and, they, and she knows and I think conservative women know that um, conservatism that traditional family values are far from incompatible with a modern woman's dreams and ambitions and actually I believe are much more satisfying means of achieving um, those dreams and I think my own life is a perfect example of um, throwing out um, the rule book. Uh, We can talk a little bit more about that in the Q&A. The The next thing I really want to talk to you guys about is culture. Um, And by culture, I mean social media, television, movies. Um, I think this is something that your generation is very, very deeply um, in tune with. Uh, And I want to talk about culture because I think culture matters, frankly, more than politics. Um, And I want you to remember this little thing that I'm going to tell you right now. If you remember nothing else that I say in this whole time that we're together, I want you to remember this. Elections are lagging indicators of what has already happened in the culture. I'm going to say that one more time. Elections are lagging indicators of what has already happened in the culture. Um, I speak a lot about the power of popular culture and why conservatives need to be on the cutting edge of social media and why they need to put their big boy pants on and get on to shows where they feel um, oftentimes uncomfortable or um, unwelcome. I think my husband is one of the few members of Congress um, who is always innovating and taking risks when it comes to reaching out to new audience audiences. Um, if you ever get a chance to go onto his campaign website, um, check out his campaign ads. Um, they are always um, interesting, fun to watch, have an entertainment value to it, um, and, and are, are in relative to other political ads, I think a lot more edgy. Um, the Washingtonian puts together an annual list of rankings for congressmen and women and they named my husband the Twitter master, which, by the way, I want to introduce you to Cassie Smedley. Everybody raise your hand. Cassie is my husband's communications director. And when we brought Cassie on, um, we brought her on because, one, I insisted that in communications we needed a woman. There was just no question about it. I wanted a woman in communications on my husband's office. And and we also loved Cassie because Cassie um, is – of your generation, understands media, um, is a risk taker, um, is smart. I can't gush enough about her. Um, But she also obviously helps um, my husband uh, with that. By the way, the Washingtonian also ranked my husband the hottest member of Congress. Of course, his competition is Mitch McConnell, so maybe that makes so, I want to show you some of the things that his office does just to show. I'm going to show you this video, the selfie video we're about to show. Well, yeah, what? All right, I'm on the way to a town hall.
0: But first, let me take a selfie.
1: So this got put together. Cassie obviously had uh, the biggest hand in this. Um, it was her idea to do this because Sean likes to take selfies and he takes selfies with everybody who comes into his office and he's on financial services. So there's all these, you know, uh, yelling and, and, and he was on the views. So there's Barbara Walters and there's, but there's, there's Paul Ryan and there's uh, uh, the Speaker of the House. And anyway, before it went out, our chief of staff said, we, we should probably let a few other people look at this before we... Post it. And so, anyway, all the consultants said, "Do not post this thing. Um, this is silly. It's, um, it's, it's beneath you. You know, you already have the real world. Why do you want to, you know, you know, push that image anymore? You need to look more serious. Don't post it." And, of course, then Sean came back to me and Cassie, and we said, absolutely, you should post this. (laughs) And uh, so we didn't listen to the consulting gurus, and um, it went viral. It went positively viral. It got over 100,000 hits. Um, It was picked up by BuzzFeed. It was picked up by Mashable, Fox News, CNN, Washington Post, political roll call, blah, 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 blah. Here's what was really important. It got picked up by our local media, but more importantly, it got shared around by all the young people in our district in particular and that was important to us we want to connect with them and if that was the launching point to connecting with them and for them to see all these people that by the way are affecting their lives a lot more than Beyonce is um that was an important starting conversation for us so um uh another thing that my husband does is uh he snapchats a lot and uh so they actually BuzzFeed did a little mini documentary on how he uses Snapchat to not just reach out to constituents, but to communicate with his own team, Um, and it's sort of a bonding thing that they have in their office. Um, By the way, I'm the only person in the group that's not on Snapchat. I just, I can't, I'm not on Snapchat, but everybody else in the office and who's involved with my husband is. Um, I think part of the reason my husband and I are such proponents of pursuing, um, being part of popular culture is that we started off on reality television. Um, We were both cast on MTV's Real World. I was on the third season, I mean, so long ago. You, You kids were not even born. Um, and uh, but I was on the third season he was on the fifth season right after his season MTV said oh we have this really great idea let's get one person from each cast and we're going to send them on this crazy wild adventure all over the United States and, and to New Zealand and uh, we traveled for a month together and that's how Sean and I met and actually one of the interesting things about our love story is that our first moment that we met is actually captured on video so that's kind of cute uh, <laughs> um now since those days i have tried to maintain um between babies and everything else a presence on mainstream television um as we michelle mentioned i've been on the view quite a bit um i've co-hosted it you know more than 25 times um and it's interesting with the view whenever i go on to the view i'm always you know will tweet ahead of time or or you know use social media to let conservatives and and people who know who we are and friends and family know that I'm going to be on. And I always get the same response back. There'll be some people that go, you know, good luck, go get them. But you would not believe how many people write back, we're praying for you. Um, And that's the main response that people get when I go on The View is we're we're praying for you. And it's wonderful um, that people are praying for me. But um, I think that the question we need to ask, you know, because what, what's implied with that is, you know, why are you going into this lion's den? There's all these women. You know what's going to happen. And the question we really need to be asking as conservatives is how can we not go into the lion's den, if you will? Um, how can we not see the urgency of being at, at in those places? And um, uh, when we're living in the era of Kim Kardashian, um, you know, Daily Show, doing presidential Um, you know interviews uh, between two ferns in other words how can we win the culture war if we aren't in the room if we aren't at the table if we're not sitting on the couch if we're not between two ferns And so conservatives are always wondering, how is it that Obama keeps on winning elections? I mean, he has such terrible results as a president, right? I mean, we look at it, I, also here with us today is Stephen Cruz. He works for the Libre Initiative. Um, we talk all the time about, I mean, the, the, what the, the policies of this president has done to the African-American community, to the Hispanic community. We have the highest poverty rates. Um, there are 2.5 million more Hispanics are in poverty now than when Obama took office um you know uh in- income for black families hispanic families down four thousand dollars a year i mean it's it's incredible um how much worse the people who voted most enthusiastically young people hispanics women they, these are the groups that are doing worse under this president and yet he continues to um to keep these poll numbers high um so the question, of course, is why, and I I think the 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 answer, of course, is um, popular culture, and it's not really him though. It's not that he's cool because if you think about it, he's really not that cool. Um, he wears bike helmets. Um, you guys remember that picture? He wears mom jeans. Um, he's kind of wussy on the on the global stage, you know, he's not the toughest, coolest, you know. Remember that one with he was picking up little hand weights and, you know, <laughs> Putin's on killing bears. And um, if you take away Obama's teleprompter, he's not even that great of a speaker. He's a little bit boring. Um, he's not Bill Clinton. He's certainly not Reagan. Um, no Martin Luther King. Um, Obama is cool by association. He shows up on Jimmy Fallon. He goes to The Daily Show. Um, he's between two ferns. Um, I, you know, one of the secrets of his campaign is the radio. And that and that's not just on hip-hop radio, you know, I, I can't remember the the pimp, was it Pimp with a Limp or something that he was on some radio. He does all that. He also does a lot of Latino um, radio stations. Uh, Latinos listen to a lot of radio. And, and he will go on radio. I have a, a story on during the last election cycle of a very big Latino radio station um, where they asked Obama to come on. They asked Mitt Romney to come. The response that they got from Mitt Romney was that um, he doesn't do niche radio or niche markets, basically doesn't, you know, Hispanics were niche. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about uh, uh, the other side that completely understands where the people are at. Um, Michelle Obama, oh my gosh, she's at the Teen Choice Awards every single year. She's at the Grammys. She was beamed into the Oscars. Um, She's had cameos on Parks and Recreation where they push Obamacare. She shows up on the show Nashville. I think she's on every single Nickelodeon show. I don't know why they book her on everything Nickelodeon, but she's on all of them. Um, And our team does Fox News and C-SPAN. And um, they speak to the choir. And, of course, the question is, why are you doing that? And they have some good reasons. The first reason is they know that if they go on to a liberal show, they feel like they're not going to be treated fairly. And the second reason is that a lot of them think that shows like Ellen or The View um, are beneath them. And so I think that as a movement, we just cannot afford to snub pop culture. We can't afford to be afraid of it. We can't afford to sit back and cede it to the left. And if we want to win elections, then we have to win the culture. We have to enter that proverbial lion's den if we hope to have any chance of changing it. Um, when I was on MTV, I was I, I did The Real World when I was 22. Um, and... Uh, there Back then, the real world was very different. I know now it's all about alcohol and hot tubs. And um, it, back then, it was really where they, if you go back, and please don't go back. <laughs> to, um, <laughs> but if you happened to go back, you would see that it was actually a lot about um, so the interaction of different people from different um, points of view. There were a lot of political discussions, a lot of economic discussions, a lot of social um, issues that came up. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, I, there's footage of me arguing about, you know, whether the welfare state, I mean, I don't think you'll ever see that on, on MTV these days. Um, but I think more important than any of the arguments I made about being a conservative and why I was a conservative, I think one of the most important things that I accomplished, and I didn't realize it at the time that I was doing it, it wasn't until much after when I, when I started to get reactions um, from people, even today, um, I think people saw a conservative Hispanic girl do things that a lot of girls in their 20s do. I would go dancing, I would go shopping, I would goof off, I would play pranks on my roommates, I partied a little too much on a few episodes. I was being a normal 22 year old. And without knowing it, I was breaking stereotypes of what a conservative looks like, how they live their lives, how they interact with others. Um, I want you to think back to the strategy that the left had with Mitt Romney um, during the last election. This, I mean, this is a very public strategy. Their strategy was to make Mitt Romney weird. So they were going to use more men. They wanted to make it weird that he had five kids. Um, they wanted to make him weird and and unrelatable. And that was the campaign strategy. Conservatives need to be in the culture. Not just representing and defending conservative ideas. We also have to normalize conservatives in our culture. The more we appear on television, just being ourselves, um, sometimes talking about politics, other times just having fun, the more we can do that, the more we can dispel the stereotypes and the negative images liberals tried to perpetuate about us. Cassie remembers we went on to uh, The View. um, What was the last time? Was it a year year and a half? Yeah, March 2014. Um, They asked me to come back, and Sean came on to the one of the... I was there for the whole show, but Sean came on for one of the segments and was sort of interviewed by the ladies and Barbara Walters, and... When we were done with this segment, they didn't ask him one political question. They asked about, because he's a lumberjack world championship, they asked him about lumberjacks, they asked him about kids. They asked, and we, we walked away from that saying, this is a win. They didn't ask about policy. I think other offices might have said, well, this was a waste of time. They didn't ask me one darn thing about, you know, what's going on in Congress or blah, blah, blah. We said, this is a win. This is a win. We, we got to show that conservatives are normal people who can have conversations about all the things that people normally sit around and talk about. Um, uh, we also have dispelled the, the the image that we all dress like Mrs. Duggar. I mean, that's sort of the, what they're trying to <laughs> perpetuate about us, too, that we are we, we don't, we're sort of outside of the culture. Um, they want to per- perpetuate images of, of us as being mean and disagreeable. And I tell you, um, I love being on The View. Um, People ask me all the time, what's it like to be with those ladies? Um, There's a lot of estrogen. I won't lie about that. There's a lot of estrogen on The View, but I had very good working relationships with all of them, with Whoopi, um, with Joy, with Barbara. I never felt like I had to compromise my values. Um, The producer at that time, the executive producer, um, never asked me. I I would discuss with him where I was probably going to go with a certain topic. I was never, ever told that I could or couldn't say anything. Um, I want to show you what can happen when a conservative woman goes into, into the lion's den. I mean, Obama's
0: happily married, but he received the Nobel Peace Prize, which shocked a lot of people.
1: Were you all shocked? I was shocked. So Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. And I, when I think of the Nobel Peace Prize winner, the quintessential one, I think of Mother Teresa. And well, that's going to be hard. To, that's, that's a hard answer. She's getting That's well, it. That's,
2: that's, that's, uh-huh.
1: that's, that's, uh-huh. that's I think that's Mother, Teresa, Mother Teresa said um, that we wouldn't have world peace until we ended abortion. And I think, personally, for me, that it's Obama's radical abortion position that makes him the least qualified for this. That's, that's, that's a, that's a, a, a very, but, you
2: know. very interesting abortion. way to look
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have been told those are the. The, the longest moment of silence on The View was uh, right after I said that. A um, lot of people, there were some people that called in, I mean, the vast majority of the people that called in, and that that, that clip went viral. I, they actually put me on Hannity that night. Um, the um, The clip went viral, and um, most of the people were calling in and saying, oh, thank you, because, I I always tell the story, people say, what's it like? By the way, there were some people that wrote in and said, please don't ever let that woman back on the set. So to be clear, there were people that were upset. They were a minority. The vast majority of people that wrote in said... Thank you, that, that's, somebody finally said something like that. And that's what I do, when I go into the green room before I s- step on stage, my preparation is, I remind myself that the ladies at the table and the people in that Manhattan audience are not my audience. That 50% of the country agrees with what I think about, w- with what, I, w- what my point of view is, and they are not there. And so I have to always remind myself that, because you can get in a live audience, you can kind of get swept in with, you know, feeling outnumbered, right, by all these people. Um, I want to tell you what the good news is, because there's a lot of good news in here. The good news is our message sells. In fact, if you don't believe that our message of free markets, of capitalism, of hard work, of personal responsibility, all the things that me and, and, um, and Stephen are, are, are promoting in the Latino community, if you don't think that our message resonates, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to listen to what these Obama supporters have to say about it. This is the, um, the last video, the one that you were having trouble opening. Whoever is doing the audio there.
2: Think about the last five years. Enter our protagonist. Enter the most powerful force for change on the continent. Enter the strongest, loudest, clearest voice for progress. Enter commerce. Entrepreneurial capitalism takes more people out of poverty than aid, of course, we know that.
1: I believe that opportunity looks a lot like hard work. When I was 13, I had my first job with my dad carrying shingles up to the roof. And then I got a job washing
2: dishes at a restaurant. And then I got a job in a grocery store deli. And then I got a job in a factory sweeping Cheerio dust off the ground. And I've never had a job in my life that I was better than. And every job I had was a stepping stone to my next job. And I never quit my job until I had my next job. And so opportunities look a lot
1: like work to all my little homeboys and homegirls back in the city. I came up in that same county building, food stamps, welfare, section eight. Check it out. You looking at me on TV right now, this is living proof that you can do anything you put your mind to, you feel me? Real talk. They call us the minority, you know, the black and brown, blacks, Latinos, but for sure, for sure, if you keep love, God, respect and hard work in
0: your heart, you can do anything you want in life, alright? I mean, it's all about hard work, I think. For me, that's what it was about. I went and I took dance classes and I offered my help to work at the desk so I could take all the free dance classes that I wanted because that's what I wanted to do. I think at eventually hard work, dedication, and a willingness to learn everything without any ego is what is really the recipe for success. And you have to really know who you are. You really have to remember where you started, who you are, and nobody can change that.
1: are our ideas this is what we're selling they're just doing a better job of selling what they're selling and then the leaders here are actually living the way we say that you should live and are succeeding um those are our ideas those are ours that's what all of you guys believe in and that's what all of our conservative policies are all about they're about lifting people out of poverty they're about opportunity they're about hard work it's about personal responsibility Conservative values sell, and by the way, they work. Um, conservative media and entertainment makes money when it is done well. Um, the Hollywood Reporter did a very interesting sto- story. Um, it was a study that proves that conservative movies, those that had traditional or patriotic themes, um, make more money than liberal ones. Um, They identified 91 movies, this was from 2011, that scored high on the conservative moral category. Those movies on average earned $59 million. Then they identified 105 movies that scored high in the liberal leftist category. Each of those movies made $11 million on average. So think about it. Narnia, Soul Surfer, Thor, Captain America, Passion of the Christ the 24 series uh, um, with Jack Bauer, Duck Dynasty, um, 16 and Pregnant, which, by the way, is very subversively pro-life. Um, we could go on and on. There's a lot of, um, of, con- of proof that reality shows, um, uh, television shows, when they're done well, there is an audience for it. Now, we have, as a movement, we have a distribution problem, um, especially with movies. That's a whole other thing. But imagine where we would be as a movement if conservatives owned a movie studio. Just think about how much money we spend on, 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 on the right has spent on PACs, on super PACs. Think of all that, if that had all been, we'd bought a, a, a movie, what if we'd bought NBC? Um, the battle is in the culture before it is in the ballot box. Um, imagine going to a movie where the businessman is not um, some evil, um, you know, horrible person, uh, where profit making um, was not vilified um, where morality and goodness were redeemed. Um, and I, I' tell you there's a few um, adult uh, you know older people in the room who have kids and grandkids. I tell you, you know, on our side, we have a problem. We want all our kids to grow up to be doctors and engineers and uh, software computer people. And um, I, 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 and by the way, that's a good one in the last one too, because that plays into what I'm about to say. If your kid says or your grandkid has an interest in the arts, and acting and movie making, Um, production. Encourage it. Encourage it. We need more people with our point of view in those fields. Um, And the reason I'm really excited to come and talk about this message is because of my audience. It's because of you. Um, You young women are in the best position to make an impact on culture. If you have a passion for journalism, broadcasting, acting, movie making, television production, social media, whatever it is, I am telling you right now, the conservative movement absolutely needs you. I really want to tell you to follow your passion. Um, bring your personality and your values and your conservative point of view to the profession that you um, are interested in. And here's the deal. You do not have to wait until you make a gazillion dollars inventing you know, the latest app um, and, and buying a movie studio. or You don't have to do that. You are sitting here right now, and you are all already culture makers. You are already doing this stuff on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat. You have the power to be an opinion maker, to be a trendsetter, um, to be a leader in your school, in your campus, on the Internet, in your job, and in popular culture. Just think about what happened this week alone. That Planned Parenthood video that went viral... I have had calls now from several people um, who have been in the pro-life movement for 30 years. They called and said, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. Why? I'm in the twilight zone because I just saw that video played on CBS News. We have known about this kind of stuff forever. We have had videos before. We have had proof before. It has never made these liberal mainstream media outlets. Why did it make the CBS News? Because of all of you. All of you forwarded that video. That video went viral and the mainstream media, which loves to ignore and pretend like that's not happening, had no choice. They, w- they were following all of you. So you have the power To change things. You have the power to change politics and to really make an impact on the culture. I'm telling you I think that video has changed a lot of minds. It would be great if more politicians in Washington were like my husband Sean, reaching out to young people on social media trying to find new ways to be more relevant and connected. But we need young people like you to lead the way and show them how it's done. Sean is good. He is not nearly as good at doing it without Cassie. He can't do it without someone like Cassie. Um, There is a real opportunity right now. Young people have absolutely soured on Obama's false promises of hope and change. His liberal ideas, his liberal policies have failed. Young people are less prosperous, and frankly, I think they're a lot more scared for the future, not just economically. I think the deal with Iran is also quite frightening. Um, the cost of college tuition continues to rise. Job opportunities are on the decline. Kids are moving back home into their parents' um, homes instead of starting their own life. I think um, we do not need to lose hope. Um, what Common sense will prevail if we are able to harness the power of art, media, Popular culture to sell our ideas, and as Nike says, we just just do it. And I, I again, I want to thank you guys um, so much. I, I'm open to some questions if you want. And thank
0: you so much. Thank you. We have a couple of uh, interns with microphones. If you would, uh, I'll let you select. Sure. And sure, if you sure. would give your name and where you're working or your affiliation. Thank you so much. Get in there and fight. I yeah, like right. it. Yes, yes. Get into the liberal
1: <laughs> bastions and fight. That's right. We can't be on the on the outside. Anybody have any questions about anything? It doesn't have to be about what we just talked about. Anybody any questions? Mm-hmm. Come, on. <laughs> Come
2: on. Yeah. Thank you. Um I would love to hear about how you think your real-world experience has helped you in not just like being a mother, but also doing the political work that you do, sure. do you still get reactions about being on Real World? And Oh, I'm Samantha, I uh, intern for the Heritage Foundation. Oh,
1: wonderful. Um, you know, I think that the Real World was very formative for Sean and I. The first thing it did was, I mean, when you live around cameras for that long, and then you had, after we finished the show, we, we were um, six months of being filmed, so it's pretty intense. Um, and then we all obviously had to do media for you know, several years surrounding that. Uh, So you get, I I got, you know, I got to learn how to do media, which was really great. And I don't get nervous in front of a camera every now and then I do. Um, But um, so that was one thing just really on a practical level. I think on a um, personal level, I think both Sean and I feel like the real world um, did help, it, it, it at least back then, the way it was set up, it did do what it was meant to accomplish, which was, I think we learned to disagree without being disagreeable with our remains. Um, and there were some that we didn't like at all, um, that we never stayed in contact with, but I think we were able to see that there was a lot more that we had in common. And I think that that's really important nowadays, um, that, that we don't want to feel like we're always right, um, that we um, – that we and and – and there's a way to express, if you think your opinion is better, there's a way to convince people that isn't alienating and, and distancing. And I think when you're forced in, to live under such close quarters um, with people, I mean, my, my real world, there was an anarchist bike messenger. We had a Muslim hip-hop artist who lived with us. Um, there was myself. I was sort of cast as a Latina, Catholic, conservative. And... Um, uh, we had a oh we had a gay um, man from he was uh, Hispanic who was living with AIDS he subsequently passed away. Um, we had a, a Jewish cartoonist from New York. I mean we had this vast array an Asian medical student. We had this vast array of different people and there was so much conflict but we also had so much in common which was really awesome to experience that at such a formative age. I also learned, by the way, the myth of. Um, I felt like I was a lot more open minded <laughs> than my roommates. So, very early on, I, I, I dispelled the, the myth of liberal um, tolerance because I felt like I was a lot more tolerant of them. But, um, but anyway, yeah. Here. Right here. Hi, my name's Hannah. I'm Hi. also at, interning with Heritage, and I was Good just you. wondering. How do you think it impacts you because I mean you're talking about how the feminist rule book is you know you wait till you make money in order to get married and then you sure. wait till you get you know your bonus to have kids and how did that influence you having kids while you're also so active in the conservative movement, and what recommendations do you have for someone who wants you know to have a family but also be sure out there so you know Cheryl Sandberg, as I mentioned in the thing she said, I think she was at a um at a commencement address and she said her advice to the young women was put your foot on the gas pedal and just press and go and go and go. And that is one way to do it. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that there's other ways. I think there's a lot of mileage between. There's a lot of room between June Cleaver and Sheryl Sandberg or Barbara, Barbara Walters. There's a lot of space in between, and I think that we ought to think about that. And I look at myself. I don't want Barbara Walters' life. I, I she's I'm, I admire her. I admire the work she does. I don't want. That's not that's. I want more balance in in my life. I my advice to young women is to focus on the things that 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 last. Um, the things. Um, that in the end will matter. And so obviously, I encourage everybody to get an education, it's the most important thing. You absolutely need that no matter what. Um, but then I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you know pursuing your heart, um, pursuing love, pursuing family. I don't see these as negative things and I actually think that what was interesting for me, I never really put a lot, I'll tell you the truth, it sounds like I thought a lot about it, I didn't. These are things that came to me after I sort of went through it and, and there are frustrations, there are times when um, I couldn't do something because I, there was, I was invited to do something and I couldn't do it because I had family commitments. And there were other times I said yes and I did it and I wished I had said no because I, I was exhausted and I was tired and I missed the kids. So, I mean, it's it's all trial and error and trying to find that balance. But I do think that um, the I, I've learned to, and it's not always perfect because it doesn't always happen this way, but I have learned to sort of surrender myself to the constraints that my family um, and my children have, and and to actually use those experiences um, to my benefit. So I think I'm a little more patient than than some people might be because I have to be, <laughs> and I have a lot of experience with that. And I know how to handle a lot of people with lots of feelings. I'm around people with lots of feelings all day long. I'm managing feelings. Um, so I, I and and I figured out, you know, like when I when I do outnumbered, for example, um, a lot of those women are so impressive. Um, Some of them are moms a lot of them are single women around you know close to your ages who are smart and sharp and they definitely are in the news cycle while i'm changing diapers and when the subject of of iran comes up i definitely look at andrea tonteros and go i hope she talks a lot because i might not know what i'm going to say this time um but when family subjects come up she 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 comes up a little short too so i mean i think it's understanding that um you know what what you bring to the table and what you're willing to do and sacrifice. Um, and again, I again think about the space in between, and also think about um, your own soul, your own person, and what you what are the things that last, and what's going to really, at the end of the day, um, what do you want for yourself? And and maybe it is a career. But maybe it's also having children and love and marriage and and those things. And I don't think you should feel guilty about that. And that's my problem with the feminist movement. I don't think they should make you feel bad if those are the things you want to pursue, because they're beautiful things. Um, So there's my answer.
0: Let me ask you, a lot of our audience here and those that will be watching it on the the internet um, are young women. They hope to marry and perhaps have families take us through a real world day at home with seven kids. Oh gosh. (laughs) Your husband's in Washington, you got seven kids, including your baby is? Mm -hmm. Uh, One years old. One year. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, he'll be. one. Right. What's a day like with seven kids? I mean, that just. Well,
1: yeah, it's tough. Uh, Summer is really tough because they're home all day long. (laughs) Um, But I would say like a regular school day. Um, I get up early, I get them ready. Um, I've got to get I, it's, you're going to really think I'm super because My kids are, last year, were in four different schools. So um, I had to, you know, do that whole dropping off, blah, 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 blah. Um, I come back, and then I have someone that I hired to come into my house. She does some lighthouse work for three hours and watches the baby so I can get work done for um, my job. Uh, I travel about, oh, well, I'll continue. The kids come home. At, I, then I, at, by, by 3 o'clock when I have to do the pickup, then I'm on. I'm back on so I have some help in the mornings um and I you know try to work during nap time I stay up a lot I'm very fortunate because I don't require a lot of sleep um I I'm a night owl and I always have been it's 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 not as I need a little bit more as I age I, I notice every year I need just a little bit more but I have been fortunate in that way that I I don't I work very well at night um and that's also when I catch up on Bravo when the kids are asleep. Um, I like uh, I do still enjoy watching reality television, um, and I'm, an, I'm a Real Housewives junkie. So, um, and I um, I I travel about four to five times a month, so I have help for when I do that. Um, it took me about three years to figure out the child care situation through trial and error, and I found a really great situation. I'm very grateful for um she's a wonderful lady and um so it that's that's how I do it it's not perfect um some days I am so productive and I'm on top of it and some days I just give up you know and so it's trial and error it's not perfect um that's life so
2: I've got a question um I was so impressed at the end of your, well the whole speech that was great oh, thank you. at the end where you were talking about the use of social media and shaping the culture and politics follows culture I was just wondering it's great for the young women to hear the message that you gave but I wonder if you've thought about giving or have you given this message to other congressional spouses um, I mean have they embraced have you seen other spouses embrace the social media or jumping in as you have. Or have you Mm -hmm. talked about it with them?
1: There is a wonderful woman named Nancy Schultz, her husband. In fact, um, some of the ladies here know her. Um, Nancy Schultz, um, she's a – her husband used to be in Congress, and she is somebody who's always understood um, at a very personal level um, that uh, spouses were really important. In fact, sometimes some of the the people that um, – Go in and, and advise the members of Congress. Uh, they will go and assimil- so they may have a meeting with all the members of Congress or Republican members of Congress, and this is my advice on this particular maybe it's social media, maybe it's how to do a proper ad or a website or whatever. They'll give the same speech to the wives because they know that the wives will be the ones that go, well, what's going on with the website? Because I heard that you should do da-da-da-da-da. So they understand that, you know, they understand what we do in in that area. And so she has been doing some really fabulous um, meetings. Um, There's at least two or three a year where she'll bring in experts, and they will advise um, uh, them on that. There was just one last month where they got – I it was actually this week I, I was supposed to come I just my schedule didn't work um but it was about social media and and how to increase your presence on Instagram and they brought in people from Google and um all these different places to um advise and Twitter to advise the spouses on how to do that so there is an effort to do that and I do think they're getting better and I don't want to make it sound like my husband's the only one who who does it they they are getting better but it has been, you know, there's, I think there's a, a learning curve. And I do think that spouses make a difference yeah. because I think if your, your wife can can help you move along, if, if you hire the right people, that's what I'm saying, all of you women here are hot commodities in this market for um, helping with communications in particular. And, I mean, if anybody has a question of Cassie, feel free. <laughs>
0: And then we'll wrap up. Sure, sure. Give these ladies, the single ladies, Mm -hmm. advice. All the single ladies. (laughs) Picking the right guy. I mean, I've been married forty years. Bridget's married forty years. You've got this wonderful marriage, seven kids. You're Mm -hmm. doing all this stuff. What's the key thing for them to remember? Of course, you know they pick us right, but when you pick him, Mm
1: -hmm. in your opinion? Well, I think the most important thing is that you marry someone that's very cute. I, I'll tell you why, because marriage involves a lot of forgiveness, <laughs> and that helps. But in addition to that, in addition to that, um, I will say that um, I think Midwestern men are, are very <laughs> very underappreciated, um, and I'll say I say that because I think that um, someone who's kind, someone who is selfless, um, there's a lot of selfish men these days. And um, I think those are very, very important things. And I also think um, that it's been interesting. I talk to a lot of young women all the time. By the way, I am a big matchmaker. I talk about relationships all the time with all all the people I know. Um, And I think that, um, you know, as good as social media is for communications um, in the political realm and and in promoting, I think it... I think there's a lot of negative aspects um, for the dating uh, world, and I think all, I see everybody kind of going, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's an interesting um, thing to look at, is, you know, I think maybe look for someone who doesn't rely exclusively on social media in terms of how they communicate with you, because I think there's a lot of face-to-face interaction that has been lost in all of this that is helps you figure out who someone really is. Um, and so anyway, I, I think you want to look for someone very kind, very nice, selfless, um, and honest, and um, try Wisconsin, um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and don't underestimate the power of cute. <laughs>
0: That's good advice. That's very good advice. We have a couple of gifts for you oh, here to yeah, thank you. you. We have our Claire Boothless Policy Institute limited edition coffee mug yes. with her famous saying, No good deed goes unpunished. There you go. <laughs> That's the truth. And
2: a Claire Boothless Policy Institute tote
1: bag. Thank you so much. You guys, All right. And
2: you. To, to add... Oh. To the um, home lot library of all the kids who are operating in the political arena. I want Jack, this to go on Jack's oh, yes. vocase, the one who understood about socialism. Heritage's Guide to the Constitution. So oh, thank you so much. Wonderful. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you and, so much. And um, thanks for joining us. We have lunch across the lobby in our Van Endel Center where we can continue the conversation. So I hope you all can join us there. Thank,
1: thank you. you. Thank yeah. you so much.